Hello, my name is Darren Speaksma. Welcome to the Campfire Conversation of the Every Square Centimeter Podcast, a podcast where we celebrate the people, places, and practices in and around Christian education in Canada. I am here with Jeremy Horlings from the Prairie Centre for Christian Education. And we'll get it eventually. I'm also here with Justin Cook from Advance. Hey, Canada. Oh, oh Canada. Canada. Holy fuck, we forgot where we were going with that one. <laughs> we are. ready to do a hey, Darren. <laughs> You've only done it 25 times. <laughs> well, hey, this, we've only done, this is our fifth campfire. Oh, I'm so glad we're doing a campfire today. We are here together for a bit of a different type of episode. This is the fifth of what we hope will be many more Campfire Conversations. Today, the campfire crackles on a vast open field of an unusually mild night on the northern prairies. Though it's officially dark out, the bright stars and snow-covered hills give the evening a perpetual sense that dawn is just around the corner. The laughter is loud, echoing back across the valley, shattering the silence left after a deep thought. Our winters last in the prairies, but they don't last as long as a pandemic that just won't go away. The grind continues for many educators. We invite you to some moments of persistent dreaming and hope as we choose to look beyond our tiredness tied to the present pandemic hangover and subsequent polarization to the future of Christian education in this fair country. Sit down with us. The sky is alight and the fire warm. Please know that there is always room for one more around our fire. For our Every Square Centimeter Campfire Conversations, either Justin, Jeremy, or myself will bring one topic about education that lingers from one of our previous episodes, or on some nights we might surprise the group with a random educational conundrum. Though campfire chats can last to the wee hours of the morning and travel great intellectual distances, our campfire conversations will focus on one burning issue. So Mm -hmm. let's get started. All right. For many educators, thinking past what's happening today or this week takes more energy and time that they believe is available. We hope that this fireside talk invites you into a place of inspiration that energizes and that any buildup from inefficient oxidation due to life circumstances is burned away, leaving only pure heat for the work we have ahead of us. Mm. Justin, Jeremy, as I mentioned earlier, The challenges that built during a pandemic have not been resolved. As we choose to step toward hope rather than despair, I want to take you back to a recent episode with June Young. It was a good one. If you haven't listened to that one, Across the Pacific episode, have a listen. One concept has stuck with me since that episode. As we know, much of our educational system promotes and integrates competition as the main model for learning. Many educators can't even imagine a different, dare I say, better way. Jun Young is doing just that. What if our systems put compassion before competition? And because I like extreme hyperbole, if that's maybe redundant, extreme hyperbole, but anyway, <laughs> because I like extreme hyperbole to create reaction and maybe some naysayers, what if all competition was replaced by systems of compassion in the learning systems in our schools? I know I have all kinds of conflicting opinions on these questions. Justin, Jeremy, what are your initial thoughts? Mm. Yeah, great choice, Darren. Thank you for uh, 
the, uh, honoring June Young and, and diving in more. I think it's fantastic. I, I think um, it, it's too bad we don't have Jun Young for just a little more time. And maybe you guys have a, a memory of him talking about this more specifically. But I think at the core of the Korean experience of competition is that university acceptance exam that comes after high school. And there is, as you may know, a massive spike in suicides among teens in Korea based on failed hopes and dreams after that exam. Because if a student doesn't get into the university that they want or that the family wants, there's a, there's a lot of shame around that. And I wonder if just the sheer fact, and, and so a second thing, and, and this is much different, but I have a daughter in grade 12 and, you know, she's thinking about grades very specifically now as an admissions uh, reality. And I mean, I guess what I regret is that very intensely in Korea, and also I would say here in Canada, at some point, a university has X number of seats available for a program. And so there has to be a number that becomes the cutoff. And and there is this default competition, I guess, for seats, you know, in programs or admissions. And... Yeah, I guess that's where I'm starting us off. Like, how much is this a university-driven uh, problem? Do you guys think that it's universities that are driving this issue down into K-12 education, or do you see it differently than that? Well, yeah, that's it. it's a good that's a good wonder, uh, Justin. Because if I recall from Jun Young, he was. Uh, inspired isn't the right word, but frustrated with the situation that he had in school where he had missed some time, uh, had come back to school and had asked his classmates for the notes that he had missed. Mm -hmm. And they had refused to give him the notes in light of the competition. He, he, that's what his um, understanding of why they went give it to was that the competition of the class was so much that well this gives us a competitive advantage it's probably not wise for us to hand over our notes and so and so they didn't uh, what I and similar to Justin I'm not sure what grade that was for Jun Young and so I Ten. like was okay thank you so it's still a couple years away from your mm. grade twelve graduation and and probably the university qualifications uh so if you're wondering about the idea of university uh acceptance does that trickle all like how far does that trickle down mm -hmm. like this is already grade 10 does that already trickle down to grade, or does it just become cultural like it's just this you know classrooms are a place of competition mm -hmm. um it's a doggy dog world uh the strong survive right like is it is that just a is, is like chicken and egg. Is it the university that is creating a spine down or is it the culture that says, well, like for example, you hear around like with doctors, I, you know, I, I want, I want the best, brightest surgeons operating on me. If I, you know, if I'm, if I'm somebody that's uh, going into a, into surgery. So do I want the strong to survive cream to the top? I, uh, so I, I get, I guess that, that sense of it, but there's such a, scarcity mindset to that all right this like mm. if if uh, in order for me to rise others have to have to be pushed down mm -hmm. 
and I'm not sure. I guess I wonder back to you, Justin, Darren, like, are our colleges, like, there's a standard that they have to live up to, but there's also, like, I think they're quite fine with sometimes expanding the amount of seats that are in their classrooms. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, okay. I think that's good. I, I mean, you're kind of bringing me back just to my own grade competitiveness when I was in school. You know, it's like, who would I compare my mark on a test with for fun? And, you know, the hope was to be higher, you know, so there was a competition in that sense. I do think in, in Jun Young's case, I think, I think the, the push, like there is a, like a massive pressure for multiple years for those students as they're kind of progressing in their math instruction or like moving forward towards that exam. So, yeah, I guess there's a sense in which we're just not exactly well-versed enough with the Korean context to be able to speak well about it. Yeah, and for me, this question is an interesting one because I love nature and I look at God's created order and there's a level of competition that keeps, um, especially animals, like healthy. Um, the strong do survive in nature. <clears throat> and yet I look at a savior and how a savior conducted himself in the world as our guide. And those two created parts of how sort of we've been saved and that whole piece, we've got this created order that teaches us about who God is. Mm -hmm. And we have the savior who teaches us about who God is. And in some ways they almost stand in contrast at the apex of this question for me. Mm. Um, And I find myself drawn more to this idea that um, if I'm going to lean one way, I'm going to lean towards Emmanuel and image bearing in that space, rather than in the, in the natural created order that Mm. I believe has been created by a creator. Yeah. I think Um, so. That's, yeah, that's my tension. Mm. I wonder, it's interesting that you bring up nature as the example there, because I feel like that, um, I feel like that's a little bit more of a modernist mindset, like a Darwinian kind of, uh, you know, like even like social Darwinism, right? That that mm-hmm. it is right and appropriate for societies to compete and to oh, like basically to annihilate each other because hey, nature is survival of the fittest, and that's true for people as well. But you know, increasingly, uh, shout out to the the BC forestry uh, scientist who talked about like the hidden life of trees, mm-hmm. right? And the collaborative nate. Like, I feel like in a in a more kind of current contemporary 21st century look at nature, I feel like science is not highlighting its competitive nature, but it's kind of symbiosis. You know what I mean? Like the ways mm-hmm. that it, it actually is more interdependent. And I wonder too, like, so we inherited a bell curve that to me is a more modern, like is a bell curve, mm-hmm. a competition. Like if, if I'm at this percentage, then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm placing myself on the bell you know what I mean? Like, I just feel mm-hmm. like that's a, that's a kind of a. I'm. I guess I'm wondering if 30 years ago we just had a bit more of a competitive mindset about as a worldview, as a cosmology, and that now I think beautifully we're starting to shift more to this idea of interdependence and you know dynamics interrelating. It's more relational, less competitive, and individual. 
Well, and I don't feel like I could actually explain it well, but I feel like Elia Delio has got something to say about this as well. Yeah, totally. Um, with the quantum physics and um, the parts that I understood of the work that I've been able to enjoy speaks to that as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm intrigued by that. And I've worked with a biology, like grade 12 biology here in BC. And one of my sort of favorite moments with him was um, his final exam was collaborative based on the work we've been doing around practices and how it, how it forms students. And basically by changing font. So one font was your individual work. A second font was your elbow partner and you collaborating to see what's missing. And then a third font was two pairs coming together at a coffee shop and talking about the exam. And it was both the individual and the collective that combined um, for an assessment. And in his mind, um, represented the profession and science better because there, you know, we love a Nobel Peace Prize or whatever. And we pretend that that's one person did that. Mm. Um, but the reality is that isn't the case. Mm. Um, it's always more people involved and we're always standing on the shoulders of somebody else. Mm. But our world seems to love the single superstar, even if it's not real. Mm-hmm. What course was that, Darren? Um, Biology 12. So high school, Biology 12 yeah. had a collaborative. That's fascinating. Yeah. I wonder if some of our own openness to thinking about compassion over competition is our own growth in the education sphere around learning. Uh, I think like Carol Dweck's work on mindset, I think is a game changer because it says, let's move away from this. Like school used to be, I think about sorting people, right? Mm -hmm. Like here's a way of, we're going to sort you and you're, and and I put a Christian context we're going to find your gifts. Mm. We're going to sort and find your gifts. And the reality of you not getting 95% on your biology exam is just because it's probably not your gift. And so we're, you know, you need to find school will be a job of sorting and finding your own gifts, right? Mm. Whereas I've tr- reframed the word gifts in my conversations around to passions. God has given us passions because gifts has this idea of like, I just am receiving it, find out what it is. And then I just go with it. And mm. like, there's no, there's not this idea of having to work. But once we start to believe that Carol Dweck's growth mindset, you can actually learn things. There's not a math person or not a math person. Now, all of a sudden, I think our eyes open up to, okay, why can't universities adopt a growth mindset and say, this person's willing to put in the effort. They have a passion for it. Um, now, all of a sudden, you know, uh, it's not about them not becoming, well, you know, you aren't, you can't be a, you can't be a biologist. You have to be this way. Just, you don't, you weren't gifted with it. So I think that's a game changer when it comes to, uh, how we, how we view competition versus compassion. And I wonder, is there a combination? Yeah. I I like the idea of, of Dweck here, Jeremy, for sure, because like the social interaction for a fixed mindset person, according to Dweck, outs you as either, like if you have a fixed mindset that you're smart, challenge is going to out you as not being smart. And so you hide, right. you know, like mm-hmm. right. you just don't try or whatever. 
and I and I do think you know in the way Jun Young's talking about compassion, yeah. I just I think we're getting better, and you know even the way we talk about protocols, right? Structuring social interaction for learning. I think we're getting better at weaving more intentionally the social aspects of learning uh, for for not just for better learning, but also to thrive and be a healthier human. And you know that's where the Bio Twelve example is a really fascinating one, Darren, because you. Like someone's doing it all the way up into that kind of level of evaluative task. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, wow. Okay. Even the exam's not a sacred cow anymore, which is great. That's cool. Yeah. And we've got some flexibility here in BC in that we don't have a standardized biology 12 exam. Uh, um, and I know there are other contexts that that might have that. Um, but to me, you know, that's what you hear often is okay yeah that's fine in elementary or that's fine in middle school but in secondary we do the real learning and therefore it has to be such and um there have been some pretty courageous teachers on uh this end of the country anyway that have really and we've heard from them like zock story you know season one i believe right it's not just here on the left coast it's um it's across the province there are courageous teachers who are taking on some of those sacred cows in, in secondary and finding a better way, I would argue. And I, and I think it's, if, the, you know, if, if we're going to create this weird competition versus compassion spectrum, I get excited about those stories because the learning is still taking place, but not only are kids learning biology, if we can overplay this example, they're also learning that as a doctor, if that's their future, um, we're going to work as a team to figure out what's going on with this patient because that's how we do science. Mm-hmm. Um, the learning is, is paramount, not achievement. Mm. And to me, that lends towards compassion versus competition. But mm. well, also like we also know researchers show that diverse communities and diverse classrooms are better off. Like they, they, they are able to, uh, multiple levels of uh well-being uh grades like so if you you've pushed that into the workforce right we need artistic scientists you know creative scientists or creative mathematicians and we also need really ordered arti- artists like, like you you need that dive so how do we take away some of the barriers for people and i thought this is where i think we're so much better like Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my kids struggle uh, with reading, um, have some uh, some forms of dyslexia, and that you know. So how? So but barriers that were there twenty years ago, thirty years ago for our parents' generation, our generation have been removed, or they can now do those things differently. So the compassion piece, even just in uh, learning and the learning process, I think is better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if you guys. I came across this a few months ago. I was in a classroom in central Alberta, uh, Lacombe Christian High School. Uh, it's actually called Central Alberta Christian High School, Cash. Uh, the principal there is Travis Egink. And uh, in his classroom, so he teaches as well, he has this statement. The word competition is derived from the Latin word competir. And that means to seek together, to coincide, to agree. Opponents are viewed as co-creators of an experience and competition as a process of striving with, not against others. Mm. Does that, 
like, I wonder if it's not about, you know, compassion versus competition, but a way of reframing competition. Or is that possible? Or is it throw the baby out with the bathwater? That's attractive to me, Jeremy. Um, and how often does the root of a word get uh, tainted over time? Because I would say assessment right. and this idea of sitting beside yeah. um, also fits, fits in that category. Yeah, good. Well, and even David Smith talks about uh, pedagogy as isn't pedagogue like this idea of um, creating a like a home, right? He talks about this idea of a classroom as home or mm -hmm. uh, very different than this pedagogy, which this almost like when when students get through university, this kind of really formaic uh, uh, formulaic uh, road road. This is what a, how I teach, not an actual being of a class. So yeah, I think there's absolutely it's changed. Well, I like the idea of um, ending our time together with a with a principal from one of the schools that um, we're excited about, and this idea to seek together as I as I reframe um, my love hate relationship with competition. Because teaching middle school, sometimes, you know, eighth grade boys, they just need a little competition and they don't even know the learning they're doing. And that's the love part of it for me. Um, kids getting anxiety because of what grade they're going to get is the hate part of it for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I love this idea of reframing competition around this idea of seeking together. I, can so, I just yeah, jump ahead, in there for sure. Turn? I yeah. do think I think there are some schools that have really tried to intentionally reframe competition be, by making sure it always happens in teams. Mm. So whether it's a house, right? Like mm -hmm. lots of schools have kind of mm -hmm. like house competitions, or whether it's a group in a class, so that the striving isn't this individual mm -hmm. mono mono kind of battle but like no we as a team collaborate together and yeah we're challenged by these it creates excitement and and energy and purpose um yeah i wonder if that kind of fits in with what travis is saying in his classroom yeah i love that that is striving together mm. um is what you're describing there so i love that even, oh, I'm going to put, sorry, okay. Jerry. I'm, I'm trying to close here and there's all, just all that's, hours uh, of the night. That's I, good campfire conversation here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I like, I, I think there's an absolutely an understanding of working together in competition, but I do think the next level and, and what this uh, quote that struck me is actually appreciating the other team for mm -hmm. what they are helping me to yes. build. So it's not even like us as a team, I, you know, because I think we have enough of that. Like at some level, even if a school adopts this idea of competition or compassion in the classroom, now they're almost using that we're, we're a better school than the yeah. school beside, or our mm -hmm. kids are going to get in over that school's mm -hmm. kids, right? Like it still creates an us versus them or, a, um, but to reframe <clears throat> it and say, actually uh, the competition we respect because it's a way of co-creating experience, striving with, not against. I, 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 like, I think there is a it, part of what struck me about the quote and why I took a picture of it is because I haven't fully grasped it. Mm -hmm. 
but it, it gives me hope and I'm curious and intrigued mm -hmm. by a, a, a society and a culture and a school like that. Mm -hmm. I, a former prof of mine at Redeemer, John Bile, who is well known here in Ontario for his philosophy of sport and just his, his gifts in physical education, he, he, he was transformative for me in this regard because he said, you need two teams and those teams are putting up obstacles against each other and you're trying to overcome the other team's obstacles while also, you know, like, and it was mm -hmm. very concrete in terms of like a volleyball block, you know, mm -hmm. like one team is hitting and one team is obstacling that hit. And it's not about this dominating or like mm -hmm. having power over, you know, or getting aggressive. It's like, it's none of that. It, and what I, what I think is dynamic in what he's saying is, there have to be very explicit norms to the game. You know, there mm -hmm. are, there are ways that you have to be expected to behave for that kind of Travis co-creating experience mm -hmm. to, to work. Um, in the same way, cheating is just it. Now the game is right. over. It, it's a pointless thing now. Yeah. So I, I think there maybe, I guess I'm adding the, the idea of yeah. obstacles are exciting and we need another team to give us obstacles to try and do something exciting. And then also, but there are very explicit rules or norms to the way that we need to behave in the midst of something competitive. And I'll, and I'll add, Darren, you're never going to cut us off. Um, <laughs> I'll add that as a society, we respect um, well-run teams that play fair mm -hmm. and, and are skilled. However, on a deeper sense there a, a human heart condition when we see videos of competitors that lift their competition up and put them ahead it even it even strikes us deeper right like the the marathon runner where the person ahead of them falls over and they're going and and instead of running by them picks them up and helps them across the line at the end mm -hmm. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the hockey player, the football, the, the baseball player, we saw a video re recently, a baseball player, you know, uh, consoling the losing team, the person, you know, yeah. the, the person that was like those, those still strike us. The compassion strikes mm -hmm. us on a deep level. So yeah, I find that fascinating as well. Okay. I, I think there's room for what's at stake in the loss in the Korean example, if we end back there like mm -hmm. yeah death for a youth is more palatable for some because the loss is so bad do you know what i mean like yeah i think there there if a competition feels like a life and death competition it's it's now we're back to darwin and survival mm -hmm. you know what yeah. i mean like i guess mm -hmm. that's where i'm trying to say how do we create a sense of the possibility of losing also being extremely meaningful, you know, whatever losing means, if we're still in the classroom analogy, I, yeah, I think that has to be healthy and safe and exciting still somehow. All right, Darren, sorry. It's, I, you know what it is in the, in the campfire cut, you can't go to bed yet, Darren. All right. You got to stay around the fire. <laughs> well, I want to, I'm going to end on a story. We just had, we're in the throes of, um, basketball playoffs and that sort of thing. And we had a senior girls team um, who is coached by a friend I dearly love who is a competitor and I may have issued him a technical foul once or twice over the years <laughs> of officiating. Um, but there was a moment um, in a fairly tight game 
where, and I know officials don't get it wrong very often, but the official, there was a, a very light tick on the ball by one of their defenders. And so he called the ball going the wrong way. And this defender actually popped up and the fans saw it, right? The fans mm-hmm. saw that it was the wrong call. And it was actually the, the, the team, the player said, hey, actually, I touched the ball. Mm-hmm. And it was a moment where the fans actually applauded this girl and the ball went the other way. And it was, the game was still tight, right? It wasn't like mm-hmm. they've had a huge blowout. And I thought to myself, you know, that to me is you need the other team to have a game. Totally. And that idea, um, obviously, you know, Mike Campbell's doing something right, but that uh, is, that's an exciting part of where competition doesn't necessarily mean, mean something evil, but I think we're back to posture. Mm-hmm. What I've heard you guys talking about is that that posture, that way of being in competition. So great conversation. Um, it's one I think I'll be ruminating on for a while here, but um, it's time to move on, I think, now that I've over-talked you and lulled you guys back into a, a bit of a sleep here. Um, let's take a quick break and come back with the Crossfire segment. All right. It's been a while since we did a campfire episode all the way last summer. So we had lots of time to gather interactions with our social media. And we have some. Not as many as we'd like. So listeners, we'd <laughs> love to hear more questions, more prompts. But let's go back. Darren, I think you have our first one. Yes, I do. Um I've got on August 15th, way back on August 15th, Hannah Van Dyke Mormon tweets, in grade 12, I read Frederick Buechner's Adolescence and the Stewardship of Pain essay in Justin Cook's class. I'm not sure there's another piece of writing with as much staying power for me. She still, it says here, she still has the original copy we read in class. Justin, do you remember this? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. Thanks, Hannah. Um, The essay is extremely important for me as well. So I'm glad we shared that. Just in brief, the context of it is we do an essay unit where we look at various styles of essay, essays of description, argumentation, narration, and this was an essay of definition. And in brief, I, I highly urge you to go find it, but he says, He's making up a definition for adolescents that adolescents are uh, individuals who start kind of keeping track of pain Mm -hmm. and they have to decide, are they going to bury it in which case Mm -hmm. it consumes them or are they going to steward it and do something meaningful with it? And uh, we, as a class, I have great memories of talking about what does it look like for us as a class to attempt as writers to steward pain. And uh, yeah, well, I love the essay for sure. Man, I should have been in your class. <laughs> um, Hannah's thread continues. Her Twitter thread continues. It gave me language for how to steward my pain, language to hold the tension of, and language to encourage me to stay present to my pain. I get goosebumps every time I read the lines, life is hard as well as marvelous. I repeat, repeat that phrase whenever life is indeed hard. I've never read any other Beekner, but today I'm mourning the loss of a man whose words have been a constant companion and thoughtful encouragement to me over the last 11 years. 
And in that uh, part of the tweet, I think she's referring to De Beekner's passing. And also, never one to miss an every square centimeter prompt opportunity. I-L-O-V-E, capital letters, love a campfire conversation. I'd love to know, what's something you were introduced to in a classroom that stayed with you for many years? Jeremy? Yeah, so... First of all, what a beautiful thread. Justin, I think you commented on her thread at the time. And uh, Hannah, thank you for sharing. Um, it's a good reminder for teachers that some of those things that we do year to year uh, have great impact uh, far beyond that class. So thank you, Hannah. Um, you know, not something specific like a text. However, I had a, and I was not, I, I would be, I loved phys ed, loved uh, that world the most, maybe some social studies, but uh, language arts wouldn't have been one of my top classes, but I had a language arts teacher that took chances in uh, grade 11 and 12 that I really appreciated. Mr. Payne was his name, actually. And one of the assignments was he invited us to bring in a love song. And he didn't put parameters on what that love song would be. And that, in a private Christian school in Northern British Columbia, felt quite radical. And so one of my friends who wanted to be a little bit rebellious thought he'd push the boundaries of it and brought in uh, self-esteem. Was that by Offspring, I believe, which uh, has yeah some some challenging thoughts and lyrics. And instead of the teacher just saying, "No, we cannot listen to this. It is not Christian," or uh, invited us into conversation around what those lyrics might mean and why maybe uh, doesn't provide hope. And uh, and so anyway, I when I went into middle school teaching, I brought that similar assignment into um, some some conversations with my students in some option classes where they're allowed to bring lyrics in. And we, we had great conversations and, and wrestled with the text of it rather than just avoiding. So I, I really appreciated that posture and it sticks it stuck with me into my own teaching career. Jeremy, I don't know that Offspring song. Do you want to sing some of that for us? You better. Uh, I, again, uh, my sister has, uh, repeatedly told me to stop <laughs> singing on this podcast. Uh, uh, and that song probably wouldn't, wouldn't be too difficult to sing in terms of, you know, vocally, but, uh, lyrically, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll avoid it for now. All right. How about you, Justin? What's something, what's something you were introduced to in a classroom that stayed with you for years? Yeah. Shout out to Harry Meester, uh, uh, my grade nine geography teacher, and then also a colleague when I worked at HD, which was awesome. And, uh, he did, um, uh, we had to do a, a kind of a multifaceted study of a country. And I'm not sure how I landed in South Africa, but that's the country I studied. And uh, this is 87. And so apartheid is raging, mm -hmm. but also close to collapsing, actually just a few years away from collapsing or from Mandela um, and the ANC being elected. So uh, that project was awesome. I remember one specific thing I had to do was like, cut a slice of the country in terms of elevation. So I had to choose a line through the country and then represent the elevation of the country on that longitudinal or, or that not, it wasn't longitudinal, but that line, that was really cool. And then my fascination and kind of shock at what was happening in South Africa led me to choose other South African literature in other mm. kind of choice assignments. So that led me to reading Cry the Beloved Country as a novel option in grade mm -hmm. nine English. And yeah, it was pretty cool that I had choice in um, 
some of my studies in grade nine and beyond. And I, I definitely kind of went down the avenue of, of um, race relations. It led to me also reading an American, African-American novelist, Richard Wright. So yeah, it was important to me. Nice. Thanks for sharing. And thank you, Hannah, for sharing your reflections with us and inviting us to reflect on this prompt. All right. Uh, also, just before we hold, move on, uh, shout out Conrad. I didn't mention his name. I said a friend and Conrad is a teacher now as well. And I know he is a teacher that takes chances with students and in the name of, uh, of doing good stuff with learning. So cool. shout out Conrad. Nice work, Conrad. Okay. Second uh, correspondence, Dave Mulder, one of the hosts from the Hallway Conversations podcast and one of our esteemed guests on our bonus episode, Schooled, tweeted this. This week on Hallway Conversations, probably the weirdest episode ever in our podcast feed, I was invited to represent our podcast in a crazy crossover event with four other education podcasts. Thanks to at JT Horlings for getting it together. Nice work, Jeremy. Question, what is the weirdest podcast in your feed, guys, your podcast feed? So, Darren? yeah, um, I wouldn't say the podcast is weird, but they definitely have some weird episodes. Um, I frequently listen to No Stupid Questions, and I would argue that some of the questions they're asking don't actually reflect their title because there are some questions out there that I would say challenge the spectrum of stupidity, but nonetheless, <laughs> I usually get a good laugh. And what I love about the podcast is it's all over the place. So you just never know what you're going to get. Okay. Nice. Can you, can you list off without going into the episode, just one of your favorite no. not stupid questions my adhd there's no way i'm remembering <laughs> unless i'm going into the into the feed and finding out nice. darren you have time while i'm going go find your favorite <laughs> episode uh, uh so i'll say uh, uh li listeners darren is literally going I, I assumed his phone would be next to him but he's he's now left the yeah, video he's, so, uh, we, he's completely off <laughs> he's, he's yeah. left the campfire yeah so uh i will say uh a bunch, a few different ones, but uh, the Holy Post podcast is a great podcast. Uh, Sky Jatani and Phil Vischer are on that, but Phil Vischer is a uh, fascinating and uh, person uh, personality, and he often will start off with a segment called, or sometimes not often, um, News of the Butt, I believe, which has some hilarious headlines that are somehow connected to to the butt. So you know, the grade seven middle school boy in you might enjoy that, but uh, one of the weirder ones I'm listening to recently. Uh, and it, it can get a little bit old because it's similar, but it's called Scamcast. Um, and it's, it actually is a YouTube channel that's just transferred into a podcast. And it's a guy that uh, mimics oftentimes old women's voices and he calls scammers back and he keeps them online for hours and hours, basically uh, deceiving them back and uh, having some fun with them. Uh, often one of the more recent episodes, he pretended like he was a lady that lived with her husband and they were testing out microwaves. And so there was hundreds of microwaves in the house, according to the story. And so he would give a lot of feedback in the, he would work feedback into the, the <laughs> microphone and the person was actually saying late <laughs> lady, I don't think it's safe. I think you actually should probably not live as so a really bought in. Uh, just I, it's a, it's, he's a unique justice seeker and I appreciate how, how he kind of goes about it. Uh, 
Darren, did you find one? Well, what you know, I'm looking back at this, and one of the ones that uh, had me laughing is, um, is it weird for adults to have imaginary friends? Ooh, that's a good question. The answer, just yes or no. Justin, weird? <laughs> Let me ask my friend Mickey. <laughs> 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 uh, all i know is my imaginary friend is better than both of your imaginary friends okay? hey, compassion over competition have you not been sitting at this fire come on jeremy uh, all right thank you dave for joining us and for being willing to share our oh so weird crossover episode and for acknowledging i'm pretty sure he did that justin won uh to, pretty sure that was true, in the actually. correspondence uh, uh, yeah thanks uh, dave yeah memory loss that was a long time ago justin so. right Darren, uh, our next one's inspired by your Ed Thought of the Day, uh, something you do on Twitter. Do you want to just explain that to anyone that maybe isn't familiar with that? Well, in a, in a moment of, some would say brilliance, others would say foolishness at the beginning of the pandemic, um, when we were trying to figure out sort of what a role of a director of learning for a group like Society of Christian Schools looks like, I had a friend say, Darren, you should just post a thought of the day for the duration of the pandemic. So an educational thought of the day. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And so I started in 2020 and every work day um, since the pandemic started, I have posted an ed thought of the day. So far I've missed five over that. I'm up to five now that I've missed because something's happened in the morning or I was traveling and it wasn't until like one o'clock in the afternoon that I remember um, that I hadn't posted stuff. So all but five days since uh, the pandemic started in March 2020, I've posted an Ed Thought of the Day on Twitter. And they're all over the place. Some of them I think are brilliant and they end up getting very little traffic. And other ones I throw up there without much thought because it's just a, a moment that I've had. And um, we have great conversations online. It it has a, it's a movement. So uh, Darren, I uh, congratulate you on your uh, continued disciplined and uh engagement so thanks buddy uh, it was yeah so so the ed thought of the day in this particular case was how are you growing as an educator what helps you move forward are you helping other educators as part of your learning journey uh often darren's uh ed thought of the day has, has questions so paul matthews responded uh to uh someone else that responded so there was some engagement here he says also mr riley duke's podcast i'm not sure if i'm saying that apologize and the At Every Square Centimeter podcast have been fantastic. Most of your Australian listens are coming down, coming from down here in Tasmania. So uh, I didn't know we had a following in Tasmania. Uh, Justin and Darren, I've never been to Australia or Tasmania. Have either of you been to Tasmania? Never. I have not been to Tasmania, but Paul's dad has issued me a open invitation. So the next time I'm headed nice. that way, I'm hoping to make that happen. Well, and I heard it's not safe to travel alone to that place, Darren, so uh, feel free to give me a call. Excellent. That's good to know. I, I'm fairly certain uh, Paul would keep me safe, but um, if that's in question, I'll uh, let you know. Okay. I don't know much about Tasmania, so I, when I was looking this up, uh, I got this from the Tasmanian Expedition website, so thank you for this information. Did you guys know that Tasmania, Tasmania is widely known for having the cleanest air in the world? Okay. Combine that with some of the best scenery, unique mm -hmm. wildlife, and its rich history. It makes this Australian destination a must visit. So I got some questions, a little quiz for Darren and Justin. All right. To see uh, who knows Tasmania better. Oof. Okay. So first of all, Tasmania is southeast of the island, okay, of, of the main island of mm -hmm. Australia. 
Uh, it's actually kind of looks like across the bay from Melbourne. Does that make it um, a continent? And, uh, well, Darren? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, is Australia a continent and Tasmania is a different <laughs> continent? It, some of the facts uh, got into like the <laughs> largest state in and it province in it, so I thought we better not go that route. So first question: These are number questions. You give me a number, closest one wins. Okay, Tasmania is the world's what largest island? What place does Tasmania as an island place in the world? I'll say it's between zero and a hundred. Okay, Tasmania is the world's what? Justin, give me a number. Uh, I'll say seventeenth. Darren? 11. 26th. Justin takes round one. Tasmania has the oldest trees Okay, time out for just a second. I need to know what the rules are. <laughs> no. Because no, I think you do. If, <laughs> if it was closest, I definitely would have went higher than Justin just on the odds. No, we're not playing. You can't play prices right with two people. <laughs> no. And I said closest wins. Uh, you just didn't listen carefully. Okay. That's on you. Point to Justin. Uh, oldest, oldest trees in the world. Okay. Uh, the oldest individual tree of stem on the site may now be about 1,000 to 2,000 years old. Um, you can see the world's oldest trees. And he, even hug if you went here. Okay. This how old ancient myrtle tree. How old? Do you think this ancient myrtle tree might be that you can go and hug right right now on Tasmania? Give me a number, Darren. You go. I know. Oh, yeah, Darren, you go first. Seventeen hundred years old. Justin. Okay, I'll say fifteen hundred. Eight hundred, Justin. You take round two. This is not looking good, Darren. All right, I got uh, just one more number question. I'll give you some one more bit of information. Tasmania has over 2,000 kilometers of walking trails and how many national parks? Justin, how many national parks? Well, considering it's only the 26th largest island, I'm going to say five. Darren? Seven. 18 national parks. Wow. That's a lot of parks. That's a lot of parks. Darren (laughs) takes that one. The last little bit of information I came across because I was curious. The Tasmanian devil is the largest carnivorous marsupial in the world. It's, the, it's only found in Tasmania. It's actually now actually found a little bit uh, in some other places. But um, do you guys know why it's called the Tasmanian devil? Anyone want to take a guess? All I know car- is the crazy cartoon. That's yeah, I was going to say, it was named after the cartoon. Right. Well, I think <laughs> it went the other way around, actually. But I'm just uh, joking. Uh, Taz from the Tasmanian devil. Um it's actually because their sound, and I Googled this. You can look up their sound. I don't want to play it for our listeners because it's an awful sound, but I recommend go and listen. Just look up Tasmanian Devil Sound, and it's uh, quite quite eerie. So, What if you try and sing Offspring go. and do it in the voice of the Tasmanian <laughs> Devil? Some people would say that listening to Offspring <laughs> is like listening to a Tasmanian <laughs> Devil. Uh, so there we go. Oh, nice. uh, thank you, Paul, for listening. And a shout out to all of our Tasmanian listeners. Uh, great to have you uh, on our journey. All right. Denisha Dykeshorn tweets out, wow, that's a variety. And then shares her top three podcast listens for 2022. And guess who's at the top? Woo! That would be us at every square centimeter. Serial. Um, which happens to be one of the, if not the most popular podcasts ever, and scrubbing in with Becca Tilly and Tanya Rad. Um, 
4.6 on 8.3 thousand ratings. We're still at nine. I think just, but yeah, just so you know, yeah, we're perfect we're five. five. Yeah, we, yeah so, we're five, right? Yeah, no, this, yeah. So, serial, which was the number two there, um, made us think about what is something that you think you could do better than the best in the world? Because clearly, serial was the best, po- most listened to podcast in the world, and still for. Um, this listener, we've got, we're still number one. So what's something that you think you could do better than the best, Jeremy? Yeah. I want to thank like Denisha as well, because she not only put that in there, but then she added, like she added the po- each of the podcasts so that those people now know that we were number one on our chart, like put them in their place. And so I will say the thing that I could do better than the best is come up with really cheesy podcast games. If yeah. you're looking <laughs> for cheesy podcast games, give me an email because I what what do we had uh, AI plus AI or A plus right? I think that was one. We had a Yeehaw or Yeehaw that mm-hmm. one of the classics. Uh, go back and listen. Uh, we've put out some doozies out there, so I'll say coming up with cheesy podcast games. Yeah, you All are right, good at thanks. the games for sure. What about you? What about you, Justin? Well, I'm pretty sure that I missed my opportunity to be a world class sprint speedwalker. Oh yeah, okay. I could totally be an excellent speedwalker. <laughs> Come on. So I am like I, and the other thing is like I just turned fifty, but I am still fast as a speedwalker. So I, I think oh. every now and then I've challenged people and I crush them every time. So I, I think I'm a world-class speedwalker. I just haven't had a chance to race against the best, but I think I'm up there. Nice. Well, Christian deeper learning speedwalk sprint. Any, I I'm putting it out there. Well, and I, I do you should lean heavily on compassion over competition when it comes to this. <laughs> well, uh, I just, I'm going to put up some obstacles. Yeah. I expect some good <laughs> obstacles back. Uh, thank you, Denisha, for listening, sharing your top three lists and, um, adding all three podcasts on Twitter. Thank you, Jeremy, for that. So that the other two <laughs> podcasts are fully aware of who's on top. Okay. Last but not least, I think. From Instagram, Kelsey May 10, friend of ours, commented after seeing our post, letting everyone know after our long break, we had just released episode one of season three, Alex from Drayton Valley, Alberta. Just searched your podcast last night, hoping for a new episode. This is great news. Wink, smiley face. So, a little risky. What's the last thing you guys have searched for on Google? Well, mine's not risky or exciting because it just shows my ineptitude with technology. But uh, I did look this up and it turns out I don't know how to turn off sleep mode on windows 10. So the last thing I was searching for is how to turn off sleep mode so that I wasn't in the middle of a presentation and my computer just suddenly uh, goes to sleep. So thanks Kelsey. Yeah. Well, um, it's still not working properly, but that's okay. <laughs> well, when I did a quick look um, on my Google, it actually doesn't. I think I'd have to look in my history to find out what my last re- search was, and it probably wouldn't be very exciting either. But what happens is it shows me my most popular searches, 
And my top two are Wordle and Quirtle because every single day I start off by Googling Wordle and mm. I do my Wordle and then I share the actual, uh, you could call it like a digital art piece with my family in our family chat and I name the digital art piece. You know, so it might, you know, whatever it looks like and it actually is about the art for me at this point. <laughs> but then I take, then I take whatever the answer was from Wordle and I plunk it into my, as my first answer in Quirtle and I try to get the Quirtle, and I'm currently on my my longer streak right now of 32 days in a row with Quirtle, so quite oh, wow. proud of that. Nice, that's pretty good. Man, I won't even I just, ask what Quirtle just, is. <laughs> you don't want to know. Well, interesting, <laughs> I'm a part of a Wordle comp- competition group too. We kind of keep track of our score like golf. So if we get a three, we're minus oh. one. If mm. we get a five, we're plus one. So yeah, anyway. My wife Rachel's crushing all of us. She's at minus nineteen. Oh, she! Wow, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Kelsey, to listen to our podcast and tagging your sister at Jossie Bossy Ten on that post. Who uh, I have it on good authority actually resides in Drayton Valley. Nice. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We've recently surpassed five thousand listens whoop, and over the whoop. past six months. Hey, I think so. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a woo woo. Uh, we've had a number of people come up at different events and say kind, encouraging things. Uh, we feel honored to be a voice for Christian education and are excited about the guests we've already had this year and yet to come. We'll do these campfire episodes a few more times throughout this year, but we really need questions and we love interactions on social media. So add us at every square centimeter, follow us on Instagram and uh, hopefully we can make some more fun, some uh, more fun more fun campfire conversation crossover sections. Darren. All right. Well, at this time in the evening, the fire is dying down. The coals are glowing and I'm both challenged and refreshed by our time together. Cheers to you two and to our listeners. May you find our fireside and the fireside of others to be a place of support, encouragement, challenge and refreshment, and may collegiality and collaboration hold you in community as together we do the important kingdom work of educating children. Stay encouraged, educators. We want to thank Christian Schools Canada for sponsoring the podcast. Please know that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CSC, the schools of our guest, or any of our three regional organizations. Thanks for listening.